The Athletic. Hi there and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is Adam Leventhal, I am the Watford correspondent of The Athletic and we are back here once again after Brighton and ahead of Aston Villa and alongside me is uh, David Walker. How are you Dave? Yeah, yeah I'm very well. I didn't see the game on Saturday so... You know, better than you two, probably. Yes, ignorance <laughs> is sweet bliss. Mike, you were there watching it. How are your eyes? Yeah, well, what do you want? What, what, what is there to talk about? I mean, what's, what's the point in all this? <laughs> yeah, well, no, you're absolutely I mean, right. Honestly. You are right. You are right. Um, before we get stuck into it, yeah, I just wanted to let people know what's coming up on the show before we get stuck into uh, having to talk about the football. We have an exclusive interview with William Troost Ekong. I spoke to him this week and there's some really interesting bits in it, in my opinion, my humble opinion, talking about his philanthropic work, uh, social media, Emmanuel Dennis, Claudio Ranieri, and also that rather difficult time that he spent prior to leaving for AFCON, the mistake against Brentford and also the mistake against Leicester City. And there is something very, very interesting in that, which we have been talking about for quite some time involving James Madison. So look out for that. That interview is coming up. Um, But Dave and Mike, I wanted to just speak to you first and foremost about the, the defeat against Brighton. And if you could sum up in a sentence what you were thinking when you left Vicarage Road on Saturday or for Dave when you heard about the result or maybe saw the highlights let's start with you Dave because you weren't there what was your sort of your feeling when you saw Watford nil Brighton two and well let's be brutally honest it it wasn't really it wasn't really a fight of any sort I think if you listened to last week's podcast that the three of us did you would have got the sense that we were all sort of at peace with the likelihood of relegation I didn't, so I didn't go into that game on Saturday thinking it's win or bust. But afterwards, I did. You know, it was very much that sinking feeling of oh, if 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 there was any corner of my mind that was still clinging on to that little bit of hope, it it is now almost completely extinguished. And again, not not even because of the points, because you know, look, you can look at the table and you can kind of do the maths, which Roy will do, and say no, we're still in it. But just be just because that that ultimate realization that we are probably the worst team in the league, and we're not going to be the fourth worst team in the league by the end of the season, even if we do sort of improve a bit. So that was my feeling. I have since watched the highlights. I've listened to the podcast with the guys, you know, which I enjoyed with the the, the reaction at full time on on Saturday read your reaction, heard Roy's reaction, which we'll get into, Adam. It's the thing about it was like not disastrous. It wasn't like the, the Norwich game where it was like complete and utter catastrophe. It was just like, mm, yeah, all right, fair enough. Brighton are just much, much better than us. We're just not there. Yeah, it was just a, that, that familiar feeling and the one sentence, we're unable to compete with proper Premier League football teams. And it's been like that for... I don't know, 85% of the season. There's been a couple, of, um, a couple of exceptions. But the reality has been the performances have been slightly, irri- slightly different iterations of the same substandard performance. 
and and that's what we got. Like Dave said, it wasn't um, a massive blowout, but I said it after the game on Saturday, we've looked more often than not like a championship team away at a Premier League team in a cup tie with a swinger's chance, a puncher's chance, uh, because we've got a little bit of spark somewhere in the team. But that that really is it. Um, and it was just a sadly familiar feeling, though. It, that, that feeling that we just feel a long, long way away from being able to, to compete in the, in the Premier League, which is, which is no fun at all, is it? No, it's not. I mean, it's been a wretched run uh, of late. No wins in 11, only two draws, nine defeats uh, during that period. I wanted to just sort of bring in what Roy Hodgson said after the game because it was, you know, the the sort of the body of the piece that I did um, after the game. And I wanted you to be able to hear uh, what he said and, and, and how he said it and the exchange that I had with him at full time because basically I think that this, I hope, reflects some of what the fans were thinking uh, after the game and that is why I asked him this question. I guess a lot of the fans watching today in your first home game would think, why didn't Roy put out the team that started the second half um, in the first half? Just tell us why why you didn't and why you thought what you put out in the first half was the, the best the best approach in the circumstances. Unbelievably simplistic questions, if I might, I might add. You know, I mean, very, it's very difficult. You're asking me really to start changing all the thoughts I have as a football coach and start thinking as a journalist. The first thing is with Saar, he only came back on Friday lunchtime from a long trip and was feeling very tired. And I think he did remarkably well to make himself available to be on the, on the bench. And I would have thought that's pretty obvious to everybody. And as far as the midfield is concerned, the change we made, as it turned out, in the first half, the player I took off didn't have a good game and the one I put on had a better game. But once again, all you're doing is watching a, a game and... Uh, the players had a bad game, shouldn't have played, and the guy who was on the bench would have been the better one, especially if he didn't kick the ball. So, I mean, I'm afraid I'm not really in the mood for that type of discussion. That's fair enough. No, I understand that. I, wanted to, I just wanted to get your take on it, because I'm sure a lot of fans will walk away and, and be thinking what I, what I asked you. But... I hope they have a bit more understanding than that, to be honest. I've got quite a lot of faith in fans. I would have thought not many fans would have expected Sartre to start the game when he, he got off a plane on Friday morning uh, very, very tired and has not done one training session with the team. And as regard to Loza and Kayembe, which I suppose was the choice I had, I don't know how well they know the players. And if I put it to them, which one do you prefer? I don't know how they would vote. That's fair enough. How do you sort of strike the balance in these forthcoming games between between having more attacking nows and, and staying steady at the back? It's a, it's a tough one. That's the big question, isn't it? Well, we can't do much more than put the attackers on the field. <laughs> the bottom line is that when they're on the field and if they are very good players as everyone seems to think they are unfortunately when they get the ball at their feet they've got to do something with it you know we can't unfortunately magic up ways in which they can score goals and create goal chances just by giving them the magic word in their ear the bottom line is that you know Mope didn't have many chances in the game but the one he had he, he took we need to hope that our front players that everyone tells me are very dangerous very good players got an enormous threat. They've got to do that for the team, for the club, because unfortunately there's no amount of coaching we can do that's going to change anything in that respect. 
so there was there's quite a lot to unpack there from from Roy Hodgson and the way that he he dealt with a, a couple of questions and you know from my point of view as as a journalist and as a as a human being and as a Watford fan as well when I asked the initial question about you know there'll be a lot of fans walking away thinking why couldn't you do in the first half what you did in the second half and I think that that was more reflective rather than the personnel because I think we all accept that it was unlikely that Ismail Assar was going to start even though, to be brutally honest, he probably could have done. I think that it was more about the approach. When you look at the situation that Watford were in, after encouraging performances against Burnley and against West Ham, the fact that Watford went into a game against Brighton and Hove Albion, they are not Manchester City. They don't need to be given the respect of Manchester City. And if you're going to get out of a relegation fight, you need to show that you have got that fight within you. It cannot be simply a containment job at home in particular. They did great jobs away at Burnley and West Ham. And I, I was really impressed with what they did at West Ham. But I was really disappointed in the way that they approached that first half. You have to throw the fans something. If that hope has gone, you have to try and reignite it. And the way that they performed in that first half, the fact that their wings were quite literally clipped. You had Tom Cleverley and Uri Kutska on the wings. Yes, Ismail Assar may not be able to start, but there is Kucha Hernandez, there is Joao Pedro, there is, or there was, Samuel Kalou potentially available, uh, Ken Semmer available, to play on one of those flanks. If you want to play three central midfielders and maybe focus on one flank, you could have done that. And in terms of the situation with Imran Luza and um, Edo Kayembe, <laughs> I think personally it, it almost reflected the fact, and this is this is absolutely fine, by the way, but Roy Hodgson is still learning about his squad. Watford fans know full well that Imran Luza is one of the best midfielders that Watford have and makes them perform better, especially in a deeper lying role. So it almost looked as if, right, well, Imran Luza definitely has to play and then maybe Edo Kayembe can replace... Yuri Kutska or Tom Cleverley, who are maybe the the sort of the lower hanging fruit or the, the more fringe looking players. So, and aside from that, on the strikers, I thought that was just basically a massive wake up call for the strikers in terms of what he thinks of them. So, I wanted people to to hear it for what it was. I've got a lot of respect for Roy Hodgson, obviously, and I think he's a you know he's a, he's a good lad. He's a nice bloke. But he can be prickly. For that first home game to have got prickly so soon, I think maybe was a little bit of a smack in the face of him to go, whoa. Honeymoon's over. And the honeymoon was in Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some thoughts on this. I, I knew we were in trouble. I knew that we were heading for trouble at West Ham, actually, because there was grumblings in the away end that evening about the style of play and why aren't we going for it? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? And Adam, I thought you made an interesting point about just then about Roy Hodgson learning about this squad. He obviously is, but one thing he knows for sure is that this team's performances have been abject for the majority of the season. And you talk about being at home, you can scrub that. We've lost the five games before that. So home form is non-existent. That, that doesn't count for anything for this for this Watford team. If, if you are trying to get fans on board and you look at the performances that Watford had against far better opposition in Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, that approach was a home approach. It was like, we're not going to give them a second. The And I looked at my watch and I put it in the piece. First eight minutes against Brighton, they had 90% possession. 
It was like we'd literally stopped still and let them do whatever, whatever they wanted. I'm not necessarily defending it. <laughs> no one's defending anything at the moment is the problem. Um, but you've got to accept that Roy Hodgson is brought in with a, with a style and an approach that has been well known to everyone for, you know, the guy's 74. It's not a blooming surprise the way that Roy Hodgson sets his team up and his approach is going to be. If you overlay that approach to the way Watford have performed for the majority of this season, and you mentioned half-decent performances in, the, in those other five games, we lost a lot. So if you're going to be serious about staying up, you have to at least have a plan. That plan is obviously not entertaining. It's obviously not, not going to get the fans' juices flowing. It's obviously going to upset fans who turn up at five to three, leave at quarter to five and want to be entertained. There's none, not going to be entertainment. Even if we won the game 1-0, vast swathes of people aren't going to be impressed with that. And, and also you talk about Brighton and Hove Albion like they're not Man City. I think that's a bit of a red herring as well because what Brighton and Hove Albion are is significantly better than us. They started the game with double our points tally. So that's the cavern. That's the difference between Watford and Brighton at that stage. And look, don't get me wrong, I'm not defending it. I think it was, it was a, an abject display in a whole host of ways. We're obviously set up in a particular way that didn't do what it was supposed to do. As a supporter, it's miserable. But what, we've, we literally had nowhere to go, I don't think. That such has been the, the, the lack of hope that this side has, has delivered in most, most performances that it just back to square one and it had to be a sort of all the way back to the most basic skeleton approach of, of football. That, that's the way I see it. And, and it's, it's no fun. It didn't work. So it's even less fun. But I think for it to be a surprise is, I don't know, is it's a surprise in itself for me. It's not a doing a disservice to Brighton. They are, a, a, you know, they've got a great model. They've got a great way of playing. They've got a great manager. They know what they're doing. I completely understand that. But if you then put that over the way that they played or the way they were forced to play by Watford's approach at the beginning of the second half, they were having to deal with an attacking team. They were having to cope with it and they didn't cope brilliantly. They weren't hitting Watford on the counter-attack. They were sucked back into their own half. We were asking them questions rather than literally sitting there going, oh yeah, that's interesting. We were doing absolutely nothing in the first half bar a few flurries of an isolated pair of Joshua King and Emmanuel Dennis trying to find something out of out of nothing and i think that i just think that you have to you have to take everything into into context you can't just simply go oh well Watford have lost loads of games at home they're not really doing anything at home so i'm going to completely change the way that we think about football when you're at home you're supposed to try and dominate the other team that has to change in some in some form. I'm a bit more towards agreeing with Mike than than you, Adam. Although I, oh, join honest, the club, join the club, <laughs> you, you and Roy, you Roy and Mike, yeah. all the best. Although I can, I understand what you mean, and I and I I think you were right in terms of your assertion that a lot of fans will be along similar lines of thinking as you are, Adam. Just to just to go back to that comparison between Brighton and Manchester City, actually, there's an interesting article that the Athletic put up last week. One of our data analysts, John Muller, uh, did a really interesting piece where he looked at basically how each team's like attempt to control games and how much possession they have and broke down the pitch square by square, coloured it in red if you have the ball and blue if you don't. And Manchester City's pitch was basically all red. 
pretty much every single square apart from the very two left and right top corners of the opposition's defence. They they control all of the pitch for most of the game, every game they play. The next best is a toss-up between Liverpool and Brighton in terms of how much they control the ball and the style of play. So there actually is a physical similarity between Brighton and Manchester City in their approach, how difficult they are to get the ball off. That doesn't mean that we simply have to let them have it. You've still got to compete. You've still got to ask them questions, as you've just said, like we did in the second half in patches. But Brighton are a really good team. They're unbeaten in 12 on the road. Like I think it's very easy. I think a lot of supporters look at a team like Brighton and remember in a not too distant past that we were beating them comfortably at home and that they were in the championship with us and we you know we won on that day at the Amex to go up you know what six years ago now you forget that actually they've come on leaps and bounds and we haven't we've stagnated they've progressed and it was always going to be a really difficult game for us and that's the situation we find ourselves in we've blown much easier games than that so this makes that challenge seem all the more important but it's really difficult and Also, I think Mike's completely right. We know what Roy Hodgson is going to do. Roy Hodgson has been playing largely the same way for probably twice as long as most of the fans that are criticising have been alive. That's just the way it is. And we were quite happy with some of the patches that we saw against West Ham. And it sounds like we kind of tried to do a little bit of that in the second half against Brighton. But I don't think we're not going to see him revolutionise the way we play in the next game. It's going to be keeping it tight. But as he said in that audio, the strikers and the attackers have got to take their moments better. And now we can have a debate about whether or not the style of play is conducive to them doing that. But in his eyes, it obviously is. We went, we went basically, we went for rope-a-dope and it didn't work. We went to suck it all up and then to hit him on the hit him on the on the counter or or, or at least perhaps ratchet it up at a certain point when he felt able to bring Ismail Asar on. If we were able to stay in the game and then we put that you know twenty thirty minutes of pressure on the opposition that in you know that on the face of it take the entertainment value out of it take the how supporters feel out of it take and look about a scientific approach about what's the best way to get get points bearing in mind how Watford have played stifle 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 pounce. It's not rocket science, it's not pretty, it's not amazing, but it can work. We've seen it work. And I think it leads on to the other really quite fascinating piece that, that, of that, that audio, and is the, which is the, the dismantling, the, the, the public criticism, really, of the, of the forward line. It's quite rare, I think, for a, for a head coach or a, or a manager to be as critical, because that's, that's effectively what it was, wasn't it? His, his, his point about everyone tells me these strikers are good, it's about time they showed it. It's, it's pretty damning. That frustration might be born out of the fact that he can see if we can stay in a game for 70 minutes and then we do f- get that opportunity, they're not going to take it. Let's look at... We, we missed a couple of decent chances against West Ham. There was probably two, which isn't enough probably to, to win a game. But the Kutzke header, the, the cleverly effort that they, they carved out, Dennis hit the post. When you are playing on the margins like this, your strikers have to hit the jackpot pretty regularly. And, you know, they're not doing it. You know, we're past the month anniversary of Watford's last Premier League goal at the moment, which which tells its own story. And I think there's big issues. I think the Joshua King... Looks like he's he's bereft of confidence. Is has forgotten what the role of a striker is. The relationship between Emmanuel Dennis and and Joshua King is appears to be completely non-existent. 
Um, and, you know, Emmanuel Dennis is, is struggling since, well, he's struggled ever since the, the start of AFCON and all that, um, all that controversy. You can read into that as much or as little as you like. But what we're seeing on the pitch is a very disparate sort of group of players on, on, on the pitch in, in an attacking sense. And I thought, even you know, when Jao Pedro came on, someone who we've usually been able to rely on uh, to be a, a, a beacon of, of attacking hope, it didn't have the impact that, that perhaps we'd have, have have liked. So I think that's a real issue. And I think obviously a sore point for Roy Hudson in the much as the way we're going to play is try and keep it tight and then rely on these supposed really, really good attacking players to, to, to score when they get the chance. And I think there's perhaps a realisation or a very big worry that they're just not going to be able to execute the, 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 the game plan. It's interesting, really, what, what Roy Hudson was saying in terms of who he was saying it to. Yes, he will pay attention to pundits and things like that here or there, but it does sound a little bit like he's been told by by Gino Pozzo and uh, Cristiano Giretta, look, these are good players, get the, get, get the best out of them. Um, and maybe he's also talking to his board to say, yeah, they're, they're not as good as you think they are. So we will see if what he said gets a reaction out of them at Aston Villa. Do you think his comments about you can't do any more than just putting the strikers on the pitch and then they've got to go and do it. Do you think those have been, do you think those have been misconstrued at all? Because I think that's, I've seen, I've seen the, uh, the dinosaur word being chucked around quite a lot on Twitter this week by certain sections of the Watford fan base. And I can understand maybe where they're coming from, but I think Roy was sort of making a general point there. I don't think he's actually say. I don't think what he's saying is like, he's doing the old sort of supposed Harry Redknapp style of thing or just go out and run around a bit. I'm sure he is giving them instructions and they are part of the game plan, but he's kind of he's kind of saying that, look, I can tell them what I want them to do in training, but then they have to go and do what I've told yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when absolutely. push comes to shove, he's not there to actually move their foot through the ball in the right, in the right way. Um, however much he would probably like to be on the pitch and actually do that. You better um, well give he, it a go. He, yeah, him and Ray up front. <laughs> They're on the pitch. What's going on? Get them on. <laughs> Let's park it there. I think we've dealt with Brighton very, very well, but I wanted to get stuck into uh, an exclusive interview that we've got here on From the Rookery End. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
This is from the Rookery End. So now here's a, an opportunity for you to hear the interview that I did with William Troost Ekong, um, who obviously hasn't been playing that much for Watford because he's been away at the Africa Cup of Nations. And obviously prior to that, he was in a little bit of a sticky patch of form. But he, he talks about getting off social media, some of the, the charity work that he is very keen to do despite the fact that he isn't really interacting anymore on social media. He talks about Brentford, he talks about Leicester, he talks about AFCON and Emmanuel Dennis, and also about Claudio Ranieri's sacking being inevitable and now having to win his place back in Roy Hodgson's side. Let's have a listen. I'm really excited about this partnership that we created really with a game of our lives as the platform really together with the end fund yeah the general message on on neglected tropical diseases which i think is is um something i'm very passionate about but we're just doing it in a different format so this has uh, been a great opportunity i think for anybody to get involved to be educated about neglected tropical diseases which i think is something that not a lot of people do know also because it's something that has been neglected on uh yeah on the on the global agenda uh, and tends to be with people that are maybe not in the forefront of the of the health agenda so this is something yeah as an african and someone who's in africa a lot i felt quite passionate about because i meet a lot of people who are affected by these things so yeah that's how it kind of all started and um yeah we we had the we had the launch of the platform which is really exciting and i'm hoping that can be a, a snowball effect because it won't just be about me i'm captaining this team now but it's it, the whole idea is that as many people as possible will be joining the platform and and also in the fight against the ntd so that's that's really the big take on all of it have there been any sort of instances any occasions in particular i know you've been you know you've been going to africa for a lot obviously with with nigeria but anything in particular that you just you've seen and it's it's made you go look i just have to do have to do something about this and i and i want to put all my weight behind it it was only three years ago that I found out the the real effect of NTDs really. So it was something that was introduced to me. I didn't know anything about it. Uh, and then once I actually dove into it, I realized how absurd it really is that, you know, there's so many things that are preventable and also curable, which affect so many lives that then also when I, when, you know, once you open your eyes to it, I saw that in Nigeria, um, even I asked around in my family, it was different people that had been affected. So there's so many things that have all became new to me in the last few years. And then I realized, okay, there's, there's so much that we can do and can prevent just by educating people, but also just showing people that, that there is cures and, and, and different ways to treat these diseases. So, um, yeah, that was something that was massive for me and uh, an eye-opening. And then when I see kids and, and all the opportunities in life they miss out on just because they couldn't avoid these NTDs, yeah, it's tragic, really. No, I can I can appreciate that. In terms of the way that you operate, where does this sort of moral compass that you seem to have very well positioned come from? You seem to be very tuned in to, to doing the right thing. I think it might be my, my upbringing has been quite different to an extent that I, I spent a lot of my youth in Nigeria, uh, where my dad still lives now in Lagos. So I, I saw a lot of things firsthand, what the other side of the coin looks like. So for me, that almost was like a felt like a responsibility that I wanted to try and use that and affect as, as, as much as I can, you know, when I have the opportunity to. So when I, yeah, then later in life became what came onto this platform, all of a sudden you have a say, you have a voice and you have the means to actually make an impact on other people's lives. I just felt like I, I really wanted to do something with it and I didn't feel right for me to go through all of this and and, and have this, like I said, voice and maybe um, have the means to, to change some things and not do anything at the end of it. That would be, for me, would be, uh, something I wouldn't be proud of when I get to the end of my career. 
it's interesting from my point of view, looking at it, the game of our lives platform and the fact that it's sort of social yeah. activation using not necessarily social media, but using a social platform for good. Considering your sort of positioning of going, I'm coming off social media, this is the wholesome side of social media ultimately, isn't it? Yeah, so this was kind of one of the things that probably was like almost perfect timing for me because we were discussing about this for a few months when I uh, yeah, explained to everyone what my stance was about social media at the time and, and where I was at. This kind of came to me as a, as a great opportunity to still use my voice on there for the right reason. So it wouldn't necessarily be as much about necessarily showing what I'm doing in my daily life or what other people might have seen from me in the last years and months or whatever. This will be a way for me to... Uh, yeah, actually give it some purpose and and all the people that are interested in my life or what I'm into up to or whoever follow you on different platforms hopefully direct them towards Thrive Africa and and the game of lives that way they'll be able to do something useful uh, with their energy and time and and voice and I'm hoping that a lot of people will see you know that they can just contribute their time to something and change lives so they don't necessarily feel like they have to uh, you know, reach into their pocket, but their time is enough, really. You can sort of be on Instagram and you can be on Twitter and you can like something, retweet it. But it is ultimately, it's not actual action. It's not, you're yeah. not actually going to affect anything. So this is, this seems to be a far more sort of practical way of doing things. You mentioned there about your sort of your stance on social media. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're not on Instagram. You're not on Twitter anymore. You you basically took yourself off. Why did you decide yeah. to do that? It was a, a moment where I, I felt like um, I wanted to just focus first and foremost on uh, what I was doing on, on the pitch and my, and my um, number one priority, my number one job. Yeah, I felt like that was taking my energy away from, from what I was trying to do. And also I felt like it was adding unnecessary pressure on me at the time so I thought you know let me just see what it's like without afterwards I actually quite enjoyed it so then I thought okay I'm, I might not be coming back to share everything on, on social media until this came up and then I thought you know what well, this might be a great way for me to um, still use the following that I have for something purposeful and actually something good just a change of mindset yeah I quite like the, the peace of mind and just uh, focusing on, on what was in front of me instead of uh, was on the, on the other side of the screen. Were you getting a, a large amount of negativity on there? Is that predominantly what it was? Um, it was a mix of everything. It was it was some of that. I mean, I was also really had to do with form and what the club was doing and all the kind of stuff. So sometimes you go through moments of your life where you reevaluate things. And um, yeah, that was a moment for me. And I just thought, okay, what is the added value for me at this moment in time? Uh, besides updating people with what I'm up to. And I, yeah, I didn't feel that was that necessary. So then I decided to see, okay, what is it like if, I, if I'm if i not on social media? Because it's almost like doing the odd thing out because everyone kind of has it and it's almost expected from you to to have it. But then I realized, yeah, it has to be something that actually brings joy and happiness. I need to enjoy doing it. If not, then it becomes a job. So at this moment in time, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that you have running your accounts for you and all sorts of things. But I didn't feel 100% like I was believing in what we was doing on there, then I wasn't going to do it. So... That's kind of the change of mindset I had. And I've quite enjoyed being off there. Yeah, well, I can imagine it's obviously with my job, we have to put links of the articles that we're writing. And it's very much, yeah. especially on Twitter in particular, it's very much a necessary, it's a necessary evil ultimately. But yeah, yeah if you can step away from it, then it must be quite a liberating experience, I would have thought. Yeah. Because yeah. there's been a couple of incidents, obviously, this season that have just been like, oh, would have thought that you would have just gone, I want, I want the floor to open up and swallow me up because they've been... Yeah. moments that you would have rather not happened and I wanted to talk to you about this the incident against Leicester when you yeah. ducked under the ball with James Madison behind you I wrote a whole article yeah. about this 
tell yeah. me from your because I've not been able to speak to you since then, and obviously we don't see people yeah. in mixed zones and all that sort of stuff. It inspired oh, okay. made me think. I'm pretty yeah. sure James Madison said something there, and it made me think about an old incident with Nathaniel Shalabar and Harry Arter, and you know, shouting Sids and Jacks and all this yeah. sort of stuff. So I did a whole thing about that, not not about just that incident. Don't worry. What happened? Yeah, I think I think you're probably spot on. Then I think you're probably one of the only ones who actually saw that. I didn't get a chance to say anything about it, but that was that was actually what happened. And for in my experience, because I heard a leave it thinking that I was a goalkeeper, but. I, afterwards i probably realized it probably was madison who said it so i didn't get a chance to ask him or to ask anyone so because yeah, it was a very unnatural moment and something that i've never done and probably will never do again i wouldn't have just done that out of my own will and i think if you saw that moment in the video clip then you probably you did very well to piece that together i think i saw it at the time i thought something's happened there yeah. but the thing was because the way that you reacted afterwards was a bit like uh, uh you know shit it was like something's happened I, I thought yeah. that you might have reacted and gone, no, mate, look, he's just gone. He's just, he shouted. And it's almost like you, you almost want to appeal to the referee having been deceived because yeah. it wouldn't have been Craig Cathcart or yeah. Sam Backman who was in goal. So did you, yeah. in your mind, did you think I've been done here and I felt, and you felt even worse because you've been done by an opposition player? Did you feel like you had any recourse to actually bring it up? Um, no, because it, because it all happened so quickly that by the time I, 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 cause I was sure that someone said something, but I couldn't, I didn't realize that it wasn't either Craig or Daniel because yeah. I couldn't see what happened behind me. So, I mean, it was only afterwards that I realized that it, that it was most likely that he said it, but then we already like one or two minutes down the line, kickoff was already gone. So it wasn't, was already past the moment to say anything about it. And yeah. it was when I watched it back on, on the, on the highlights, I said, yeah, no, it's hundred percent that he must have been the person who said something because I heard it. Then of course the moment is gone. So do I regret not trying to appeal at that moment? Probably yes, but. I mean, like I said, it all happened very quickly. And I think the disappointment of the goal probably overflew my mind and I didn't really have any time to think about anything else, you know. Afterwards, did you actually go to Craig? Did you shout something? He went, no, it wasn't me, mate. And then to Dan, no, I didn't say yeah. anything. Was it like that? Uh -huh. Yeah, it was exactly like that, yeah. Oh, God, that's annoying. It's so, it's, yeah. it's just, and there, there was, I'm not sure if it was before or after, the, the game against Brentford, it had been a, a really solid defensive display and then, just in that final moment, that was one where I saw your face and there was a close-up of your face and I thought, oh, I feel for you there because you'd worked so hard and obviously yeah, it had been level. That moment, must you must have just thought, oh, what, what have I done? But also, it's the decision-making process, isn't it? At that moment, all the intentions were good, but just didn't come off. Yeah, How did you feel at that moment? You and a lot of people know that I'm, I'm a Watford fan at heart. I'm as much in the same boat as everyone else who yeah. is in standing in the stand. I, I love this club and um, yeah, I want the best for it. So for me, it was probably the same gutting feeling as anybody who saw that or watched it. But for me, it was probably that times 100 because I know myself that all the intentions are right. But, you know, there's going to be moments where you make a challenge that isn't timed perfectly and especially in the box. That can mean, you know, it's, it's a make or break moment. So yeah, if I could go back, I mean, I wish I could replay that moment a hundred times, but I can't. So it's one of those things and I can never be angry at myself for it because it was a, an honest decision and an honest mistake. And I think that's part and parcel of the game. I just think that for us this season, unfortunately, those moments have cost us in big moments. Yeah, we haven't had enough good on the other side to balance it out. Because, so yeah, if this would have happened maybe the season before, amongst all the all the wins and all the clean sheets yeah. and everything, then it would have been something that would have just been swept under the rug. And I'm sure that did happen in different moments of the season before. But unfortunately, when it's an accumulation of 
of moments like that, then it just adds up and then it became it becomes a thing. It's something that uh, I had to accept and move on with. But like I said, it's something you in, in, in our profession, you kind of have to keep it moving because yeah, if you, as long as it's comes from the right place, then I don't think you can um, yeah, you can hold on to it for too long. Was it nice to be able to step away and go to AFCON? I mean, obviously, we're talking about something that's inextricably linked with with being in, in, in Africa. But was it nice for you personally also to, to step away? Because there was, a, you know, there was a fair amount of criticism flying around during yeah. that period of you for you to just step away and go, yeah. actually, no, hang on a minute. Look, I'm a good player. I'm also the captain of my country. Just to reassess. Yeah, no, I mean, it was it was probably a, a break needed. Um, it came at a very awkward moment, you know, having to miss the games, knowing that if I was going to leave, that coming back into the team would have to be a new challenge again. So there's loads of things that I had to weigh up, but of course I could never turn down playing for my country and the responsibility to have as captain as well was something that I, I could never say no to. It was uh, something that I, I wanted to do and at the start of the season I always said that I was going to go to the AFCON um, so yeah that wasn't going to change my mind and uh, and I really enjoyed it and I think it was like you said it was like a, a moment for me to recharge in my batteries in the different environment and I think anybody who watched the tournament probably saw that I enjoyed myself and probably showed in my performances despite that we didn't go as far as we wanted to I believe that some things happen for a reason unfortunately yeah it wasn't meant to be for us to go further in the tournament but I think for me being there on a personal note was uh, was something positive yeah well yeah and hopefully you can get back into the side now obviously you you left with Claudio in charge could you sense that that might be down the line was it sort of heading in that uh, direction again like I said as a as a fan as well and uh, I'm sure as you were aware I think it probably was something that was inevitable at a certain stage and I was yeah very hopeful that we would get different results against Norwich and West Ham and the games that I missed but um, yeah, it was looking like it was going to probably be that. And so when I, uh, yeah, I think Roy and Ray came in uh, about a week or so before I came back uh, back home. But yeah, it was probably something that was uh, inevitable, I think. What's it been like now being in this current setup? You start from zero again. So I come back a week after the rest of the guys. They don't know me. They haven't really seen me play, maybe besides what they probably weren't concentrated on the AFCON. So yeah, it's, it's for me, it was a, it's, it's a new challenge again to try and get back into the team. So that would change from probably before I left when I played probably 95% of the games and I had to fight to stay in the team. Now it's to get back in there. So that's a new challenge. It's just about trying to get the results now and, and getting the point because I think we at the start of the season, all I wanted was for this team to stay in the Premier League. So I'm doing my best to get back in the team, but I'm also seeing that Samir, for example, and Craig, who have been playing, have been doing well. So... Um, yeah, you have to respect that. Keep working hard to try and uh, take my chance again when it happens. The Emmanuel Dennis situation, what was your sort of understanding of it? Did you understand how that panned out or was it frustrating? Because you were on the other side of it. You were over there and it was still sort of rumbling on. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, probably was a, a distraction for both Dennis, the club, and I think the situation probably wasn't ideal. It was his decision and uh, and what was decision to make. So I wasn't involved in anything like that. So... Um, yeah, just got to respect that, but of course it was uh, a lot messier than it had to be, I think. And finally, the fact that you you said you are a Watford fan, but you've also got your father-in-law's sort of take on it, which a lot of Watford <laughs> players don't have, having a fan there telling you how he's feeling about things. In terms of like this relegation battle, what's his sort of take yeah. on it? How does he feel games should be a, approached? Does it sort of go down swinging or try and be defensively sound and eke out results? What's his take on it? Uh, that's a good question. It's become a bit of a sensitive subject now. So, um, but yeah, no, definitely the swing and give it all we've got. I think that's uh, something that we owe to ourselves and to the fans and everyone. I think it, it's not a case about sitting and hoping. I think we need 
to just go out and, and, and give our best. And if that means um, losing or winning a game, I think we, the main thing is that we want to walk off the pitch with our heads held high. And then at the end of the season, we can make a tally up and see if we deserve to be in the league or not. But um, I think there has to be some honesty and some fighting spirits in the performance. That's what I would like to see from Watford and from us and from the team. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is From the Rookery End. So that was William Trista Kong speaking to me a little bit earlier on this week in an exclusive interview. And you can read um, the piece in full on The Athletic. You just need to head to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you'll be able to pick up the latest um, new subscription deal there. Um, Dave, from your point of view, you know, he's he's had a very difficult time since being in this Premier League side because he seems to have been the one that has obviously he's made mistakes but he has also been sort of isolated clearly by people on Twitter and they've really gone at him to the point that he's had to just go you know what I don't need this and I just want to concentrate on my football and and when you actually hear him talk he's he's a good guy he's a nice bloke and sometimes you actually need to stop I think and think about what you're saying to people and the impact that it can genuinely have because as we've also heard he's a Watford fan as well he's not doing this on purpose no one's doing no one would make a mistake on purpose and he's almost just sort of he's been in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the doing the wrong thing yeah I was quite impressed by him I've always been quite impressed by him when I hear him when I hear him speak he clearly cares a lot about his role in the team I was I didn't realize that he was actually, you know, a, a Watford fan or considers himself to be a fan of of the club through his family and everything. And you know, that's great. I think that's that's only a positive, I think, you know, to to know that at least one player on the pitch cares about the club maybe as much as we do. But obviously he had a real bad patch of form that he was very honest about and it was interesting to hear him talk about those situations, the the, the Madison goal at Leicester, the 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 penalty at Brentford, other performances around that time. And I, I think I was vocal about it at the time. I think after the Brentford game, when I saw some of the stuff that was being chucked to him on Twitter, on social media, I just, it wasn't on. Fine, criticise the guy for making mistakes. That's OK. But don't, you know, this get out of my club, leave now, and much worse. You know, and I'm not surprised that he's decided to take a step away from it and remove himself from that environment. And and that seems like it's had a positive effect on his mental health. And hopefully in turn, that will mean that he is able to contribute more effectively to Watford's season if called upon in the future. And yeah, I, I was I was. I was really pleased to hear him talk about that side of thing and, you know, very interesting as well to hear him talk about the the projects he's got going on in Africa and how much he cares about those. Like, this guy's clearly got his head screwed on and he's doing some good stuff off the pitch as well. But the Leicester stuff in particular, like... I told you, (laughs) I told you, I told you there was something going on there and I was quite glad that he actually appreciated the fact that someone had actually stuck a flag in it because clearly something happened and... You know, it's, it's very difficult to actually fully apportion blame to James Madison, but you don't ordinarily do what he did. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing still feels a little bit a little bit weird to me. He's sort of talking about how he didn't react at the time. He didn't feel like there was a time to 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 complain to anyone, I suppose. But what, what do you do? Can have a go at James Madison, have a go at the ref? Nothing's going to change. Madison's not going to go, yeah, sorry, got you there, mate. We'll, we'll let you walk one in at the other end. So I guess you'd like to think that that probably draws a draws a line under it and explains away the the situation and a reminder that this sort of basic nonsense you flagged it with your article ad about trying to trying to put people off still still happens whether it's um, in the spirit of the game is, is is very much a different debate but yeah nice to get some some closure on that and I, I, what I did think was was interesting the clarity with which he spoke 
around social media. It made it very, it very, very simple. And it was the, the context of him wanting to do something with his platform as well. He wants to do something positive with his platform. He's, he, he's, he's found himself in a situation where he does have a, a louder and more, a, a louder voice with more impact than, than the average man on the street. And he decided that he wants to do something with that, which is obviously hugely, hugely admirable and you love to see that really as a professional footballer you've been you've been blessed in a number of ways and to want to do that for 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 things that are important to him is is great but i thought the way he spoke about social media was strip it all away and what are you getting out of it are you posting on there to vent to make yourself feel better to 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 engage in genuine conversation and debate probably when it comes to football twitter a lot of the time people aren't they just want to get it off their chest. They do it quickly without necessarily thinking about who's going to read it, the impact on who it is that's going to read it, and probably the impact on themselves that this sort of the furious typing of of their um, sort of pent up aggression and frustration and, and worry or concern about football. And I just thought listening to William Trustekong and how calmly he sort of dealt with it. So he, he took himself off initially for a break and then thought, you know what, I just don't need it and, and I'm not coming back. And I wonder, you know, jokingly have said to, to people uh, uh, since Brighton, how are we going to get through the next 15 games as, as Watford supporters? How are we going to wade through this malaise? How are we going to enjoy it? And I think perhaps the, 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 the approach might be just to take a step back from stuff like social media a little bit. Don't let it dominate so much. Think about if you are going to post, why you're going to post, who you're talking to, why you're talking to them. Perhaps just go to the match, talk about it with your mates and park it. And get on with it. Perhaps do a podcast if that's uh, if that's in your um, in your diary. If that's what something you, you want to do. But I, I think it's a, a really important message about football and enjoying sport as supporters and taking part in it as club officials or or players. Just to just take a beat. What are you actually wanting to achieve? with your social media posting? Who is it aimed at? What's it going to achieve? Is it ultimately going to make things better? Which is the overarching thing that he wanted to get across, that his platform, he wants to use it for better. Everyone has a platform now with with social media, some bigger than others. Are you using it for better or are you just using it for for clicks and, and likes or are you using it just to get it off your chest and to hell with however anyone else feels? And I just wonder whether all of us just need to take a time and think well what you know is is it actually impinging on my enjoyment of of football um and i think really that 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 is the case but overall really nice to hear from him an articulate chap who's obviously hurting obviously desperate to get back in into the side um interesting to hear about the the sort of the intricacies of perhaps of going to, to going to afcon knowing that you're leaving a team that's struggling obviously played on his mind but you know you've got to balance that against playing for your for for your nation as well on the international stage. So yeah, some 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 fascinating stuff and just having to go back into the club and prove himself to 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 Ray to to Ray Lewington and Roy Hodgson. It's 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 not that easy for footballers sometimes. There's a lot of a lot of stuff for them to 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 juggle and and deal deal with. And you know obviously he's got to, he's got to do his talking on the pitch. That's that's where it counts. But it's nice sometimes to hear someone taking a breath talking through this stuff um, in a calm, cool and, and, and measured way as a ultimately, you know, stating the obvious, as a human, as a human being. And I think it's, 
it's nice to hear, good to hear, and I think we could learn a lot of things from 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 those uh, from those words. And interestingly, although he probably wouldn't have seen it, I've been sort of seeing the the reaction to the interview on social media. Of course, I'll be I'll be brutally honest. I think it's I think some fans they do, they do need to check themselves a little bit when they are you know given an opportunity to hear from someone who's willing to articulate themselves and talk about some pretty difficult things that have gone on very publicly for them they've made massive errors and they're willing to talk about it in a very open and um, constructive way and they're moving on from those negative situations you then see a reaction of yeah but he's not good enough get rid of him or oh i couldn't really i don't really care about what he says and da 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 you're like okay fair enough and that is the that is the the, the sort of mixed blend that you do get on social media but I, I i think that what you said mike about how people use it look they're entitled to do exactly what they want and if they need to vent they can vent but i think when someone is actually offering their time talking through situations they should be given a little bit of respect um and i think that you know i've seen a couple of people saying that and i think this is this is probably fair comment that yes he he's probably not excelled enough in the Premier League and he has had a couple of difficult moments as we've discussed but he's the sort of bloke that if things do go wrong that you would like to be around and maybe you could sort of build around in a certain in a certain way back in the championship because he has shown that he he can lead you know lead a, a defensive line in the championship very very well and you know one of those players people are already looking ahead and saying who's going to stay who's going to go who cares the blah 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 blah, all that sort of stuff but i think we know that william truster kong if 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 it does come down to it and he's given the option to stay be captain and try and get watford back up into the premier league if all goes to beep then you know hopefully he will be there and he'll do a good job. Is that is that fair? I think so. I've I've seen a few people posting like um, potential lineups or 11s for for next season, saying, "Oh, this team breaks the championship points record and all that stuff." <laughs> Which you know we've been there before, but let's let's a lot. There's a lot of water to pass under the bridge before we get to before we get to next August for for sure. But if 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 you know if if indeed we are to be in the championship next season, Trusty Kong is a player that was a key part of that defence that kept so many clean sheets last time we were in it. Um, and, you know, there were there perhaps were signs here and there in the Championship that, you know, of certain deficiencies, deficiencies in his game that have been more exposed in the Premier League. That's fine. But, you know, the other thing that he did in the Championship last time out was, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but wasn't he one of the leading voices in the sort of post-Coventry turnaround? And he, he, he certainly is a leader. He certainly is a big character. And... Is he more? He's more than capable of playing a significant part in a in a championship team pushing for promotion, which is what we'll want to be if we're in that division again. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't just get rid of all of the squad and start again. As much as some fans would like that to be the case, there's going to have to be some players that remain, and there's going to be players who have more potential than him to get moves elsewhere so he's probably one of the players that will be here by hook or by crook next season if that's the case I'm I'm comfortable with it like I I accept the, the guy's got his limitations but I think there are some redeeming qualities to him no, I, I completely agree um right let's not you know go down the road of of working out who's going to leave when we're relegated let's try and keep things positive and try and work out our way out of this situation 15 games to go boys 15 games to go 15 opportunities to collect three points starting 
at Aston Villa against Steven Gerrard's hard-working side, including uh, Philip Coutinho and Emmy Buendia and Holly Watkins and Danny Ings and all those <laughs> exciting players. <laughs> what is the lineup that we would like to see? And I want, I want, I want a lineup from from maybe both of you, if you if you don't mind, um, of what you would like to see and how you would like to see the side play. Mike, I want him to mix up up top. That I think that's my that's that's my that's my wish list. I have stuck up for Joshua King all all season. I wonder whether perhaps it's time for for him to to have a break and whether that opens the door for perhaps getting Ismail Asari into um into the side from the from the get-go then 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 perhaps that's what we ought to be looking for. But I think for me a refresh up top is 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 top of my wish list. Dave I would like to see the midfield change, I think, actually. You know, I think in the first couple of games, playing the sort of four central midfielders across the middle or in in the midfield, there was kind of some circumstantial sort of reasons as to why Roy could justify that. But now we've got a few more players back. We've got Loser back. We've got Sar. Sar's another week down the road in terms of his reintegration to the squad. I think I would like to see... I would like to see Luzer starting, KMB starting, Sissoko. I'd like to see those three in the midfield. I think Cleverly and Kuzco, I'm not as, as hardworking as the pair of them are. I'd like, to, you know, I'm not going to be too disappointed to see them on the bench. And yeah, as, similar to Mike, if there's going to be a bit of a bit of a bit of a reshuffle up top, if we can get Sar into the team and Luzer and keep keep the back four, they're fine. I think that's the best way to go. And you know, but you've got to weigh up against against them. Um, you know, against Aston Villa, they're they're not in brilliant form. They've sort of had a few up and down results. Obviously, they lost to Newcastle last week, which was a disappointing result for them and for us in some ways. But they have got bags and bags of talent in that squad. Aston Villa, Villa Park. You know, we don't have good memories from when we were there last time out, do we either? So, but I mean, as Colin said last week, I think he said we owe them one there. So we've got to, have, you know, who knows. It might happen, mightn't it? I've <laughs> got so many bloody IOUs. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like when I used to play Monopoly as a kid. Finally, right, so this is my lineup. Ben Foster in goal, back four of Kamara, Cathcart, Samir and Kiko. I would go so it's a four, two, three, one, Kayembe and Loser, Sissoko in front of them, Sar on the right, Dennis on the left, King up top, last chance saloon, half time. If they're not pulling if they're if they're looking as shaky, Dennis and, and King and as unlinked as as before, Cucho and Joao Pedro. Go for it. That's what I want to see. Also, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of Ashley Fletcher, just to see, just to see what what he does somewhere along that front, that front, uh, that front three potentially. You mentioned the um, the last chance saloon there, Adam. I think Watford as a club, we've we've been turfed out the last chance saloon, and we're, oh, yeah. ar- we're arguing with the bouncer forlornly, trying trying to get back in, and he's having none of it. Thought you had a late license? No, sorry, Lance, off you go. Yeah, we're throwing up by the skip I'm, in the car I'm, park. I'm, mate, I'm fine, <laughs> honestly. I'm I'm fine. I'm I have I've only had I've only had a few. Nope. <laughs> They're not. They're not. Tra- they're not shoes. They are trainers. You've painted black. Get out of my sight. You are not coming in. And also, right. you've turned up on the wrong day and we're shut anyway. Yeah, That's where exactly. we're at. Exactly. Right, gents. Well, it's been good once again to to talk about things, and I hope people, you know, take what we say in the in the right spirit. That we are as invested as everyone, every fan that is out there, you know, listening to this. That we want 
we want the best for for Watford and we want ultimately for the corner to be turned somewhere somewhere and we're all hoping for that but we're just not seeing uh, enough of it at the moment and also I would like to reinforce the fact I wish Roy Hodgson and Ray Lewington all the very very best with this and I hope that they've had a really good week I think we can't ignore that as well they've had a pretty hectic week having a midweek game uh, as well so hopefully another week you know, ahead of this Aston Villa game will have served them well and they'll be able to put out a more conducive performance of potentially, you know, winning a game against Aston Villa. Just make sure you don't exactly. come armed with simplistic questions <laughs> yeah, this weekend. I know, exactly. I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking to Roy after the after the 3-0 defeat on Saturday. Um, right, gents, it's been, it's been great to speak to you as always. Dave, thank you. Thank you. And Mike. No worries. Look, it's miserable. There's no getting away from it, but we've got to find a way to enjoy it. So whatever it takes, take a step, take a beat, work out how you're going to enjoy these next 15 games. We're all in it together. Let's try and keep uh, keep smiling through it all. We're, we're good in adversity. Let's, uh, let's stick together and uh, see where we end up. Absolutely. Yeah, let's hope that we have a, a good away day on Saturday at Villa Park. If you're going, travel safe and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pick up the pieces on the next episode of From the Rookery End. Take care. The Athletic.